Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. We're in this series, Live It. And uh, this morning we'll be continuing in, the chap- in chapter 4 of James. And live it means to live out what we say we believe as Christians. And today I'll be talking about humility. Um, you know, keep in mind that when we, when we go through these books of the Bible, most of them are actually letters that were written to specific people. And we know that James was writing to the, the 12 tribes, Christian 12 tribes that were scattered abroad. And, uh, and so when we, when we look at the scriptures today, we see chapter and verse, and uh, these were actual letters. So when, a lot of times when we're reading through, we're not really thinking that this is one continuous letter. We're, we're seeing scriptures or, or parts of the letter. Um, so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about humility and the reason I'm telling you this is because last week's sermon and this week's sermon kind of go together, again, because this was one letter. The Lord wants us to grow and become spiritually mature. And the core scripture for this series is James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. That's a great scripture to memorize and be reminded of as we go throughout the day and as we have interaction with other believers and other people, is that to remind others and ourselves that we need to live this word out and uh, not just listen to what the word says, but to apply it to our daily lives. Um, The key scriptures for today will be found in James 4, 6 through 10, and Romans 5, 12, and 15 through 19. And so I want to just quickly recap or read through the scriptures from last week because there's continuity there from last week and this week. And last week's sermon was our issues, and, uh, and, and I think today's message is part of our issues. <laughs> so if you missed last week, go, please go back and watch that or podcast that. James 4.1 says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. How many times do we need something, and the last thing that we do is pray about it? We need a resolve. We need something to, uh, we need the Lord to move, and we will take time to worry and fret. And uh, do you ever have those conversations that are just circular? You're going around and around and around in your mind, and you, you, you think of this scenario, and you think how it's going to play out, and maybe it's a, a conflict or a conversation you need to have with someone, and you get all worked up about it, and then it doesn't happen, or it doesn't turn out like you think. So what if we just take our situations to the Lord first and pray about it? And ask God, say, God, give me your perspective on this thing. Help me to know how to navigate through this challenge or whatever it is I need. And that we would seek him first instead of last. So James is saying you don't don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, 
which is true many, many times of us, right? You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you want and what will give you pleasure. <laughs> Everybody's really quiet this morning. <laughs> he goes on to say, you adulterers, don't you realize that your friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. We should have this desire to to be in this relationship with him. We were created to be in this relationship with him. And as we've talked about before, when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God would come down and, and commune with them and visit with them daily. I can only imagine how that must have been. Hey, check out this fruit. Hey, did you know this? Let me show you this. Let me teach you this. But through Christ and through this relationship that was broken in the garden, through Christ, we can now come into his presence, into the Lord's presence, and we have the Holy Spirit. So we can be communing and and communicating and hearing from the Lord and bringing our petitions to him, much like Adam and Eve were able to do in the garden. They were meeting, I guess, face to face. He was walking with them in the cool of the day. But we have the Holy Spirit to walk with us whenever we're going through anything. Uh, Last night I was driving home and there was a car accident on 96 in South Shore Harbor. And I just pulled over there. I stayed out of the way, but I was just praying, praying for the people. We have the opportunity to do that, to pray for one another. When, when someone comes to our minds, somebody uh, from our church family or whatever, we can just stop and pray for them. Just those little popcorn prayers that we send up. Lord God, I pray for Carol right now. I pray that she feel better. Lord God, I thank you for John. I don't know what's going on today at work, but Lord God, I pray that you bless him. As we walk down the hall at work, we can see a coworker. We can begin to lift them up. If, if we will be sensitive to the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, he will guide us and lead us in how to pray. And so that's, that's really what James is saying here. You come before God and ask him what his perspective is, what he wants. Let's continue on in James 4, 6 now. And, uh, you know, we just read some of these things. Are you a friend of the world? More than God. And so verse 6 is, and he gives grace generously. Many of us have done things or turned and walked away from the Lord. Maybe we've had seasons where we've been cold to him. But God's grace is abundant. He, his grace is generous. God's grace is greater than our sin. He is always there for us, waiting for us to come back when we turn away. He doesn't leave. We're the ones that vacate and and go off the path. The Lord is quick to forgive and exceptionally gracious to us, even when we turn away from him, even when we disobey, even when we deliberately and defiantly disobey. God is always there, willing to forgive us of our sins as we repent And as we've talked about, repenting is changing the way that we think. We all know what that's like to disobey. And you deal with the guilt or the shame or the frustration or the uh, disappointment or those, those kinds of things. And we've all experienced that. But God is so gracious that he always forgives us. He always takes us back. And sometimes the biggest challenge is for us to forgive ourselves. 
right? Because we're good at beating ourselves up. But listen, if, if, not if, but when God forgives us of our sins, who are we not to forgive ourselves? Who are we not to forgive others when they sin against us or they hurt our feelings or whatever? And so James is, is telling us here that God is very generous. Let's look at Romans 5, 12, 15 through 19. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Okay, so we know that because Adam sinned, sin entered into all humanity DNA, our spiritual DNA. And Adam knew that they were not to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They knew that. He knew that. When, when Eve ate, the Bible says Adam was with her. Why didn't he stop her? Maybe he wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> Go ahead, woman. Check it out. See, let's see what happens. But then he ate of the fruit as well. But let me ask you this. If, if, well, let me say this. If Adam, Adam wouldn't have messed up, do you think one of us would have? Have you ever seen a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch? <laughs> what do we do? Oh, try to wipe it off our finger, right? And so Romans, let's read on in Romans 5, 12 continues. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone to sin because of the, the spiritual DNA that we inherited from Adam. But Jesus came to fix that, right? I'm getting ahead of myself here. Okay. Uh, David writes, King David writes in Psalm 51.5, he says, For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So we were conceived in sin. We are born in sin because of what Adam did and this spiritual DNA that has been passed down to all of us. Uh, let's skip down to Romans uh, 5.15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Through God's gracious gift is our redemption through Christ. Let's read on in verse 15. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. Because we just read that, well, we know that sin leads to death. James 1 says, let no one say they are tempted by God. God does not tempt God is not tempted, and he does not tempt anyone else. Temptation comes from our own carnal, fleshly desires, which entice us and drag us away. And when sin comes to fruition, it leads to death. So let me continue on in verse 15 here. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. And again, I just quoted roughly uh, James 1, 13 through 15. The natural progression of sin leads to death, as, as I just uh, shared with you. When sin comes to fruition, it leads to death. And so because, because Adam and Eve sinned, I think that's where death entered into humanity. But nonetheless, that relationship, more importantly, that relationship with God was broken in the garden because of what? Because of sin. And if you go back and look at the first part of Genesis, I think I shared this last week, before Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were naked and unashamed. But after they ate, something happened. They realized that they were naked 
they clothed themselves with leaves or something. And, uh, and when God came down, they hid. Something had drastically changed. And so that's why we need to understand that sin is not something to play with and toy with. We don't, we don't get all legalistic and uh, you know, dogmatic about this thing. But we, we understand that sin causes problems. Think of the marriages that have been destroyed. Think of the lives that have been destroyed because of sin, because of addictive behaviors, or because of sexual immorality, or things like that. So it may not be a physical death, but it can be a spiritual death. I know people that have walked away from the Lord that were greatly gifted, but the anointing has been removed. And so that's why God says, don't do these things. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. We know that John 10.10, Jesus said the thief is what? Come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you would have abundant life. And we can look around us today and we can see the effects of sin. We can see people's lives being destroyed. We can see people even dying. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Verse 16 continues, For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads us to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The word says if we say we're without sin, we're a liar. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And what happens when we sin? Like I was saying a while ago, we, we have that, that mantle of guilt and shame and condemnation and regret and we're beating ourselves up or whatever. Jesus came to set us free from all that. So when we mess up, when we make a mistake, then we need to go to the Lord and say, God, forgive me. I messed up. I repent of my sins, and I'm, I'm thanking you for your forgiveness. Now, let me put that behind me and move on. But what the enemy wants to do is continue to bring that up. Oh, remember? Remember last week? Remember what you did? Remember what you said? Remember where you went? No, wait, 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 wait. I'm forgiven. I'm moving on. And so the Holy Spirit is not going to condemn us. The, the enemy will try to condemn us. You know what I'm talking about. But the Holy Spirit will bring conviction and say, remember what, what happened last time? Remember that, that, those emotions and those things that you felt? Remember the, there was a, a little disconnect from me because of your shame and your guilt and all of those things when you did that last time? And so the Holy Spirit is there to lead us and guide us and protect us and keep us from stepping in those same pits that we have a propensity maybe to, to go into. Romans 5, 17, for this, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. 17 continues, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. And so we talk about this relationship with Jesus, not just so that we can have eternal life, which is important, but that we have this relationship that we can live in victory over sin and death. We know that Jesus paid for our sins, and we know that he conquered death when he rose on the third day. But the, the scriptures are telling us that we can live in victory 
Are we living in victory today? Are we walking in freedom today? Are we walking by the power of the Holy Spirit? The Word says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not, what? Fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're staying connected to Him, then we have a greater chance of walking in victory and not deviating. Because, listen, it's not, it's not a sin to be tempted. Temptation comes from within us. But what happens when we're tempted is the problem. Do we allow those thoughts to germinate and, and build? And do we continue to think on those things? Or do we do what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 4 through 8? Think on the things that are lovely, pure, just, righteous, holy. Or what are we thinking? The battleground many times is in our mind. And so when those thoughts come, wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not going down that path. Let me speak to you men for a moment. A moment. I know that you have gone somewhere and you have seen a woman with body parts hanging out that is very attractive and she's wanting attention, and our natural propensity is normally to give that attention to her. She goes down aisle five. There's nothing we need on aisle five, but, well, you know, maybe there's something on aisle five I need to check out. Come on, I'm just being real here. But that's what I'm talking about, where we take control. The Word says that we are to uh, take our mind, our thoughts captive. No, 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 I'm not going to go there. I could go there. I might find something on aisle five, but maybe I need to go to aisle 25 right now and let aisle five clear, okay? And let me say this to you women. If you women are dressing like that, please help a brother out. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, verse 18, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. We're made righteous. We're brought into right standing with God, not because of what we've done or not done, but because of Jesus Christ, what he's done. Are we walking worthy of the calling? The scripture talks about us walking worthy of our calling. Are we staying in our lane? Or are we going down aisle five? Okay. So, you know, we need to, to walk worthy of the calling, and we need to understand that what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us, we are righteous. Maybe we, maybe we need to think about that a little bit more sometimes and say, wait a minute, I'm righteous. What am I doing in this pit over here? Why am I compromising my life when I'm an ambassador of Christ and I'm representing him? Why would I be going and doing these things? Verse 19, Romans 5, 19. Because one person disobeyed God, thank you, Adam and Eve, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, thank you, Jesus, many will be made righteous. We're made righteous by Christ. And I think James is saying, look, if you've been made righteous, why don't you act like it? Why don't you live like it? Why are you fighting? Why are you quarreling? Why are you wanting these things that you don't have? Why are you scheming and killing to get these things? That's not righteous living. That's, that's, that's living like the world lives. 
So let's go back to James 4, 6. And he gives grace generously. We want grace. Are we gracious people? (laughs) Are we extending grace to those who don't deserve it? Hmm. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Today I'm talking about humility. Are we humble? Consider the lives that would have been saved if somebody would have just been humble. Consider the road rage and the shootings and all the craziness that goes on if somebody would just be humble. Do do we have to win every argument? Do we have to win every battle? Can we say, Uncle, you, you, you win. I give in. I was wrong. Maybe I was only 1% wrong. Listen, nobody's ever 100% right or wrong, probably. But can we just be humble? What, what would the world think of that if they saw people? And I'm being humble. I'm not talking about being a doormat. I'm not talking about letting people just run over you. But what if we were just humble? First Peter, uh, James, James quotes here from uh, the Greek version of Proverbs 3, 34, when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. First Peter 5, 5 quotes the same verse as well. The theme, th- this humility theme is found throughout the Bible. Think about Jesus. He could have called down, you know, thousands of angels. <laughs> you know, his disciples will just call down fire on him, you know. And, and Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point here. We're, we're called to love people, not call down fire from heaven and strike them down. That, that's our own carnal, fleshly nature. And, uh, you know, we're wrapping up life groups this week. But it's interesting that the, the material that Pastor Christine has been covering in First and Second Peter and the material that Al has been covering in, in his life group, Ephesians and Colossians, are talking many times about the same thing that we're talking about here in James. It's, sometimes I want to say at the life group, hey, you can stop now. You don't need to preach my sermon tonight. Give me something to say on Sunday. It is so amazing how God is lacing these things together because I think we're living in a time where God is wanting us to be mature, have some substance and and have some, some fortitude, have some confidence in Him that we're walking according to His purpose and plan in love, not arrogance, but in confidence. I remember having a conversation with a person that was in leadership at our church one, one time, and I said, hey, you're coming across really arrogantly, and you know, you're not representing the Lord well. You're not representing the heart and the DNA of this church well. And I said, I, I think that normally uh, most people come across arrogant because of their insecurity. You know, I, I want to prove who I am. Or sometimes people are just arrogant. And I said, I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's insecurity in your case that's causing you to act like this. He said, well, I'm not insecure. I thought, oh, well, I guess you're arrogant, you know. <laughs> the, oops, there it is, you know. Uh, 
But listen, we, we need to come across humble. We need to understand our authority and the power and the dominion that God has given us. We don't have to go prove ourselves. But we can, we can deal with people in love and compassion. Realizing that we are made righteous. That we have authority and dominion and power. We don't have to go beat people up or prove you know, our position. We can prove it by our humility. And we can prove it by just knowing, walking in confidence. No, no, this, this is not how this needs to be handled. Let's, let's please handle it this way. You know, whatever it looks like in love. And then sometimes there's a different perspective that maybe we haven't thought of. Are we open? Are we humble enough to receive correction? You know, let's talk about our core values here at Life Fellowship. Love, prayer, obedience, humility, teachability, unity, and service. Are we teachable? Are we able to teach others and train others because we're prepared and equipped? But also, are we teachable? Because we're all learning, and we can all learn from every circumstance and situation. And so are we humble enough to say, Lord God, maybe I'm missing something here. If I'm missing something, will you show me? Will you reveal that to my heart? Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. So let's not be prideful. And if you ever say, well, I'm humble, <laughs> you probably just stepped into it. You're probably prideful. So let's just be humble, okay? Let's just be teachable. Uh, I think that pride is one of Satan's favorite tools, man. Uh, there's, there's pride and arrogance, and then there's false humility. And uh, I've used this example before. I have a friend. He is a phenomenal, phenomenally gifted guitarist. And uh, I was fortunate to play in a band with him for a while, praise and worship team, and then a, another band. And people would come up and they'd say, Robert, man, you are awesome. And he would say, well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and when he had the opportunity, he'd say, well, I thank the Lord for the gift. False humility. Say, oh, no, I'm, I'm really not that good. Tell me more. Tell me more. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really not all that good. I mean, I just... I, I made a mistake over there on that one note. You know, he didn't say that. He, he realized that he was very gifted, and he didn't take credit for it. He gave God credit for it. Because when we understand who we are in Christ, you know, I've heard people say, well, I'm just a worm. No, you're not. <laughs> you're a child of God. God didn't die. Jesus didn't die on the cross for a worm. He died for you. He died for me that we could walk in the power and dominion and authority that is rightfully ours. And so let's not diminish who we are in Christ. Let's realize who we are in Christ and then let's live this thing out and show the world what it's like to be a believer, a committed follower of Christ. So don't let pride... Get its ugly foot in the door because the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And I think pride is one of the main tools that he uses. It comes in a lot of different shapes and shades and colors, and it's very deceptive. So 
Just check your heart and say, Lord, help me to be humble. James uh, provides some tips for us here in James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. Realizing that without him, without this completed work of Christ, we are lost. It's hopeless for us. James 4, 7 continues, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil. And when I think of this word resist, many times uh, the Greek word for resist means to be hostile towards, to oppose, to set oneself against, to rebel against. When I think of resist, sometimes I think of of more of a, a passive approach where like, well, I'm going to resist, you know, I'm, I'm just going to resist. But this Greek word really means to be hostile towards, be aggressive, be assertive, resist the devil, be uh, hostile towards the devil, oppose him, set yourself against the devil, rebel against what he's trying to do in your life. James 4, 7 continues, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and what? He will flee from you. So when I'm under spiritual attack, and I know I've been under attack enough to know what that looks like and what that feels like, one of the greatest things that I've found to help me navigate through that is to put on some praise and worship music. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to sing it. I don't want to listen to it. But I put it on and something breaks. Something breaks just like that. Because God, uh, uh, Satan cannot stand in the presence of God. And where there's worship and praise and adoration to God, he cannot stay. I've, listen, guys, I've, I've, I can tell you this. I've had this happen multiple times. I know it is spiritual attack. And I begin to put on praise and worship. I remember one time uh, Pastor Christine and I were driving to Northeastern. We had a meeting. And I was in a bad mood, man. I was mad. I was angry. I don't even know why. I didn't even want to. I, I didn't even want to look at my wife. I didn't want to, much less talk to her. Don't. I, I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to. You know. I was in a bad place. I turned on the radio. <laughs> they were playing praise and worship music. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to sing along with it. But you know, a few minutes later, something broke. Something broke. So when, when you're going through some trials and tribulations, you're having a bad day, there's, there's one of the keys. And, and what, what happened was, it's like all that junk that was hanging on me just fell off. And I can't even tell you what it was. I don't think it was any one specific thing. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes I think there's concentrated attacks where he's attacking us. And so you just begin to to worship, resist the devil, oppose him, stand firmly against him, begin to worship God. And what happened in that situation was eventually I began to sing and worship God, and that thing just, it was like, uh, just evaporated. Just whatever that was that was on me just evaporated off. And so when we resist the devil, he uh, he will flee. Refuse to engage in the entertainment of the enemy. Okay? Refuse to to engage in the entertainment of the enemy. 
enticement can lead to enslavement because we begin to toy with that. We begin to entertain with things that we know we shouldn't, and then we can get enslaved in that. But one of the things that seems to happen as we resist the devil, as we oppose him and the the tricks and the things that he tries to put on us, the harder it is for him to come back at us. The more we disconnect from those things, the more we connect to the Lord, the greater uh, strength that we have in staying on the path. So if there's something in your life that you need to get rid of, get rid of it and stay away from it. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you as we press into him. So that's why we talk about this intimate, personal relationship so much. That is the key. As we come close to God and we stay connected to him, it enhances our relationship with him and keeps us from some of the stuff that we would go through if we, when, if we disconnect from him. As we desire and determined to seek after and have a passion to develop this personal, intimate relationship with him, it happens. He comes closer to us. We should be growing in every month, every year of our life. We should be growing in this relationship. As we, but the key is, part of the key is yielding to him and allowing him to do this work in our hearts and lives. If you were pursuing a relationship with someone that clearly didn't want to have a relationship with you, a friendship or whatever, eventually, you know, uh, you, you would walk away. God is, is not going to force us to have this relationship with him. And I'm not saying that God would walk away. I, I don't think he would. But listen, it's up to us to be open to having this relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with us. He is pursuing us. There's somebody watching online. God is pursuing you today. Stop running. We sang about it this morning. I will make room for you. Are we, are we making room? Are we spending time with the Lord? Are we quieting our soul enough to listen to him and spend time with him. James 4, 8 continues, Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. James is, is pushing on us. He's challenging us to become more committed to the Lord and less committed to the world, our selfish nature. We choose. We choose. Every day we make choices. Am I going to choose the Lord, or am I going to choose my own desires, or am I going to follow the world? James 4.9 says, let there be tears for what you've done. James is saying there are times when we need to be repentant. We need to be authentically sorrowful for what we've done. You know, maybe we haven't robbed a bank or had an affair or something like that, but, you know, there are times in my life where, God is, I'm just crying, and I'm not really sure why. But there's something going on in my spirit, man, that is sorrowful. Maybe it's for me. Maybe maybe it's even for somebody else. I don't know. But there are times when I'm just before the Lord, before the throne, and I'm just thanking him for his forgiveness. And James goes on to write, let there be sorrow and deep grief. 
I remember Pastor Don was telling me a story one day that there was a, a man that came to the altar, and he was weeping bitterly. And uh, just really, I don't know what was going on, but something was going on in his life. And somebody came up to, you know, to comfort him, and Pastor Don said, leave him alone. Leave him alone. You don't disturb what God is doing right now. This is a one-on-one uh, uh, co- uh, thing that's going on here between this man and the Lord. Leave him alone. And maybe Pastor Don knew something about it. Maybe the man really was needed to repent and was repenting. But there are times when we just need to get before the Lord. Because the, the Word talks about our heart. It says, who can know a man's heart? Our hearts are deceitful among all things. So we can even trick ourselves. We can even fool ourselves. But as God does this work in our heart and life, sometimes he's pulling, pulling out that root. And maybe, maybe our soul, man, is saying, no, I don't really want to let that go. No, I really want to hang on to that. <laughs> and God is saying, no, I need to take this from you, son. I need to take this from you, daughter, because I love you so much. We need to get rid of this weed in your life. James is writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And he's asking them, stop compromising. He's asking them to press into a deeper, more authentic, real, yielding relationship with Jesus. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. This Greek word for humble here means to to make or become low. To be dependent on the Lord. Not dependent upon self-reliance. To empty ourselves of our carnal ego. The Lord will lift us up as we empty ourselves of ourself. And say, Lord, I want you to backfill this void in my life with you. Remove me from me. The Lord will promote us as he desires. I talked about that last week. I said, you know, sometimes our our selfish desires will cause us to miss the opportunities that God has before us because we're so focused on what someone else has. we're, We're missing what God is wanting to do in our life. And maybe he hasn't promoted us to that position because we're not ready. And so if we will just stay in our lane and allow God to do the work in our hearts and lives, you may surpass that person that, you, that you're envious of their position or that you desire. God, listen, God can get us where he wants us to be. He's fully able. <laughs> He's fully able to promote us and, and, and you know, open doors for us that we cannot open for ourselves. But the key is that we allow him to do it. And we stay humble and teachable and yielded to him. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. (laughs) Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Are we honoring one another? Are we preferring our brother over ourselves? Philippians 2.5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. 
It's the Lord that transforms our life. It's the Lord that is able to heal our brokenness. It's the love of our Heavenly Father that we really need. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe this morning God is speaking to your heart. Maybe he's calling you to recommit your life today. Maybe, he, maybe you don't have a relationship with him, and, and he's calling you into this relationship with him today. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Anybody here, I want to pray with you. Maybe you're watching online and you say, that's me. I want to lead you in this prayer to say, dear Jesus, now I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. And I thank you that you are willing and able to do that. I receive your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you for this new day today, starting today, where my life is made new. And I'm walking in the righteousness that only comes through Christ because I'm made right through the forgiveness of my sins and the acceptance of Jesus in my life and in my heart. And I thank you for this new beginning. I thank you that all that old stuff is behind me and gone. And I'm made new. You prayed that prayer. I want to pray one more prayer for you. Lord God, I pray for those that prayed that prayer. I pray that the fire and the baptism of the Holy Spirit would wash over them, Lord God, and that as they read your word, your word would come alive in their hearts, and that as they pray, their sensitivity to your Holy Spirit would increase, and that they would choose to yield their hearts and lives to you in everything that they do. And I thank you for this fresh start. I thank you for this new beginning. And I pray for all of us, Lord God, that we would be humble. If there's pockets or areas of pride in our lives, Lord, that you would reveal those things to us and that you would help us to share the hope and the love of Christ that's within us that we would receive in greater measure, Lord God, that we would make room for you in our hearts, that we would open up the doors of our hearts and make room for you, not only make room, but give you the room, allow you to have full access, unfettered access to our hearts and lives. So we thank you for this in Jesus' name. We hope today's message encouraged you. For more information about our church, please visit our website, lifefellowship.me. We invite you to join us again next week for another life-changing, uplifting message. And remember to live it.